from the Credit Union National Association. This is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people, credit union ideas. If you want to drive change at your credit union, think culture first and strategy second. That's one lesson Nicholas Mathewitz has learned since becoming CEO four years ago at Northridge Community Credit Union in Hoyt Lakes, Minnesota. I'm Bill Merrick, Deputy Editor for Credit Union Magazine and CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, Mathewitz describes the challenges involved in being a new CEO, his work with an executive coach, and advice he has for new leaders. Can you tell me a bit about your credit union and who you serve? Yeah, Northridge is about uh, $45 million, million in assets. We have a community charter that spans three counties here in northern Minnesota. We have four locations, all kind of in that, that general vicinity. Our primary areas and industries are a lot of mining industry. That's really a, a big stronghold up here. But we all open to community charter, so, so we're open to everyone who lives, works, worships, attends school, and does business in the area. How long have you been CEO there, and uh, what, what's your background? Uh, I've been CEO here at Northridge for about four years now. It'll be four years, I think, in December. Uh, my background is primarily operations and IT. So I started as a part-time teller, and through some hard work and, well, frankly, a lot of luck, <laughs> I had the opportunity to be in a lot of different departments, and uh, it really gave me a broad understanding as a credit union as a whole. So I kind of felt like I understood more. Uh, eventually, I became the manager, the IT manager, and I served in that capacity for about 10 years before I took the job here at Northridge. Okay. So have you, uh, have you always been at Northridge then, or have you been other credit no, unions? No, I, I actually worked at a different credit union prior to this. Uh, I was there for, uh, I want to say, about 14 years or so. And during that time, how have you developed yourself as a leader? Well, I spend a good deal of time reading, listening to podcasts, and uh, today we're working with an executive coach as well, but I also like to talk with leaders from different industries. When I was the IT manager, we had a small group that would meet on a, on a monthly basis or so, and we were IT managers, we were executives in, in that suite, and we talked a lot about leadership and management and those sorts of things, and I find that the expansive approach has always helped me to talk to different industries to find out what they do and what they think about. Do you still do that now? Do you still look to other industries to get ideas? And I do. We're fairly involved in the the Chamber of Commerce here here in the area, and that and I found that that helps me when I can kind of bounce some ideas off people and see you know uh, different industries approach things in a lot of different ways. And I don't think anyone is right or anyone is wrong, but all the ideas really kind of meld together to create something that I think you can get a good hybrid of of a result at the end. Have you had any mentors during your career? I've had quite a few people who I really credit for <laughs> urging me along and, and kind of getting me where I am. The first and foremost would have been, uh, her name was Vicki Ganrud King. She, she agreed to work with me when I was really, really green and probably didn't really have any idea of, of how I was going to get to what I wanted to get to. She really kind of was able to guide me and give me some unvarnished opinion that helped me look critically at myself and to overcome some of the, the limitations that I had put on. The other one, I think the other greatest influence would have been my former CFO, uh, Tess Thorstead. She really gave me, in the, the role that I had as IT manager, she really gave me the latitude to stretch myself. She was really supportive of my efforts to be more educated and more knowledgeable. She, she really encouraged me when it came time that this, that this CEO role here at Northridge came up. 
to go for it, to give it a shot and see what happens. And so I have to credit both of those two for really kind of spurring me along. What do you think has been the most difficult part about being a new CEO? You know, I think it's a constant learning experience. <laughs> I think anyone who walks into it for the very first time and thinks they're prepared is going to be surprised very quickly. I don't know, it, it took me about, oh, I don't know, an hour to figure out that I really, there was a lot more to do than I had originally thought. And, and it, it's, it's always kind of the intricacies and the, the things that are out there that you just don't always expect. Every day is different. Everything everything slightly changes. There's a lot. We're a, we're a small credit union, so we wear a lot of hats. That tends to be a, a bit of a challenge, too, as you shuffle, as you shuffle between those types of priorities and those, those areas. What do you think is one of the, the biggest surprises uh, when you sat behind the CEO desk for the first time? Um, you know, I think for me, I had always, I had always worked a lot with, with strategy. As the IT manager, we worked a lot with, with strategy. We worked a lot with how things get executed. One of the things that I don't know if, if I did as much is really work on the culture. And that was one of the things that was a pretty drastic change when I stepped in. When, when, I, when I came in as CEO here, we really put a strategy together, but that kind of changed pretty quickly when we said, you know, I think the first thing we need to really do is look at our internal culture. We're not really who we want to be, and we, we think that we can serve our members better by doing some small changes. And that, that's sort of the, the first thing that kind of caught me is that you can put the strategy together, you can have a great idea, you can have a great structure, but if you don't have the support, if you don't have the culture to make it happen, then it's really all for naught. How do you implement uh, a new culture at, a, at a, any organization? It must be tough. Yeah, you know, it, it starts from the top, and <laughs> I, I laugh a little bit because one of the things that sticks out to me is there's a TED Talk by a man named Derek Sievers, S-I-V-E-R-S, and it's called How to Start a Movement. And it has this gentleman dancing all by himself like a lunatic out in the middle of a field. And, and it must be a, an outdoor concert. And over time, what you find is that those people that are called fast followers, he has a couple of people join him right away, and those people bring on more. And I've always thought about that, even you know, talk, thinking about changing culture, thinking about all these sorts of things, is that one person will never do it alone. You can have the greatest ideas, you can have the greatest passion, you can have the greatest drive, but you will not be able to accomplish it yourself. You have to have those fast followers, those people that look at your idea and say, you know what, you're right, that is a great idea. Those people are really the driver. And for us, we've really tried to foster those relationships with my management team, my staff. You know, we want to make, we, when we make a change, we really want to make that change something that everyone can get behind and that you can see it and that you have some champions for it. And if you haven't seen the, the video, I definitely think that you should take a look at that TED Talk. It's short and sweet and fairly hilarious. What's one thing that you know now that you wish you'd known as a new CEO? You know, I think the pace of change is sort of something that you never really get a handle on. You, uh, when I came in, like I said, I had this, this goal, this strategy, this thought of where we were going to be and how we were going to get there. And what I quickly realized is that what seems like a reasonable pace is actually way too quick. We have to remember to slow down, to really take your time to develop and move forward strongly with people, with culture, and make that change something that everyone can kind of grab onto. 
we made a few changes pretty quickly in the beginning, and then we really we've slowed down and we've taken a, a little more deliberate approach as we've moved. Everything still changes. You can look at the news on a daily basis, and you can see different players. You can see different things happening, uh, regulations changing, um, all kinds of things that that move. But really, to to take a deliberate approach to slow down to make sure that you've got your culture behind you. I think those are the most important things for me. Yeah, it seems like trying to make too many changes all at once would be one pitfall for a new leader. Are there any others that you can think of? For me, that's really been the biggest one. I, I also think that something else that will happen, that, that can happen to people, is you can take on too much yourself. Again, kind of going back to really working with your team and trusting your team to get it out there is that you're never in isolation. You've got to really trust your team. You can't hover. You can't micromanage. They've got to be, they've got to be able to take it over and, and run with it. And I know I've been really lucky that I stepped into this role, and probably within the first month, I had felt like I had been here ten years. My team really came together and said, "All right, so how do we do this? How do we make it work?" And they really were supportive and functional throughout all levels of the organization. So I, I have to say that I was slightly spoiled in that scenario, that I didn't walk into a team that was dysfunctional or a team that had issues. We really kind of gelled together and moved forward. And, and I think without that, that would have been extremely difficult, not being able to trust the team, not being able to go forward. Um, as a new leader, I would definitely watch the team structure as I step into this to make sure that you know everyone is there and everyone you can you kind of go forward with that same gusto. So what if, if you had walked into an a organization that had some dysfunction, how do you think you would have addressed it? Well, I think we would have done a lot of what we're doing anyway. So we've started recently, well, recently, a couple of months ago, we started with an executive coach who has been helping us. We've done some leadership training on the management team. We work a lot as a team to make sure that we are coherent and that we don't run afoul of some of the dysfunctions that are out there. I, I think it's important, again, to continue that training, to continue that education. And even if it, we would have come into something that maybe wasn't ideal, I think with expectations, with training, with goals and accountability, those things sort of shake themselves out. Can you tell me a little bit about how it works with your executive coach and, and what you do and what you talk about? Our executive coach, we've been with her now since... Oh, I want to say we've been with her since maybe March of this year. At the same time, we did a, a leadership certification course. So we're working on kind of both of them simultaneously. And we brought her on to really be the back support for that leadership program. She makes sure as we go through each course that she follows up with us on all of the lessons that we've learned and the the education that's out there. So what you find is that sometimes when you do training, day or two after, you're really motivated to kind of follow through with that training. But as you get further and further away from it, you start to kind of fall back into old patterns. She meets with us a couple of times after those and spanning it out a few weeks. So she's able to bring them back up and kind of refresh us and say, hey, you know, you said you were going to do this. How is that going? Can you show us? She's really pushed us to be more candid with each other and to really to not keep things back. I think sometimes in an organization, people of guard themselves. They say, well, you know, that's someone else's job and I'm not going to talk about that because they might get mad. She really pushes us to get beyond that, to say, hey, well, you may think that it's important that all of our messages are heard because there is no 
there is no unimportant seat in the organization from my seat all the way to our brand new part-time tellers. There is no unimportant seat. We're all critical to that. So she really has encouraged us to kind of find out what our strengths are, to really engage with one another and understanding uh, communication, I think, is her big is her big push. She really works for goal-setting communication to, to make sure that we, we follow through with what we say and that we're not afraid to tell somebody, hey, you know, this just isn't going to work or, you know, I, I was going to get this done, but here are, the, here are the things that happened. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen in this time. You know, to kind of reset and, and be more, to be more vocal with one another. Do you have a, a certain leadership philosophy or approach to leadership? You've maybe figured it already, but I tend to be more of a collaborative person. Like I said, I don't believe that there's any unimportant seats, so we really have encouraged ideas to come from everywhere. I really liked Jim Collins' book, Good to Great. I feel like you know his his comment that good is the enemy of great has always been sort of something I've looked at and said, you know, he's right. If you're settled on good, then you're never going to be any better. So we really we really strive to continually improve ourselves. I'm a big proponent of training. We've spent a lot of money in the last four years on training and education, getting our staff to feel like we're invested in them because we are. So I guess as a philosophy, I tend to be pretty collaborative. I like getting input. I I know I don't know everything. And I know that if I just take my own input, I'm only going to see one small sliver of what's actually out there. So I tend to be a, a person that really looks for input and, and pulls all those ideas together to make a final decision. What accomplishments are you most proud of during your time at Northridge? I think I'm most proud of the way that our internal culture has changed. As I said, kind of in the beginning, culture is the is really what drives the organization. And we have some amazing people, and they've really been empowered to take ownership and, pr- and pride in what they're doing. <laughs> they have definitely challenged some of my assumptions and even some of the management team's assumptions on things that we've done every day. And it's been extremely beneficial because we've been able to make a lot of positive changes because of their recommendations. You know, some things that seem trivial, that seem small, but making those changes really had a major impact in the overall organization. The other thing I think I'm most proud of is the change we made to kind of bring the credit union back to basics. One of the things we've really pushed is the original credit union mission, our our people helping people, our serving the underserved, our working really hard to create relationships. It's something we, we definitely have felt strongly about, that creating the relationships in the community, creating the relationships with all of our members, with all of our prospective members has been important. And I've been really, I've been really pleased to see the, the direction that has taken. How did you approach that? A big part of that was training, to sort of bring that mentality out to make sure that people understand. I think one of the things that tends to get missed the longer you're in the credit union industry is the fact that not everybody understands what you're talking about. As new members come in especially, and even existing members, as they come in, they don't know what's offered. They don't know the products, the programs. They don't know necessarily what can help them. What they typically look for is a savings and checking account and a debit card, a credit card, a loan. They don't really see the length and the breadth of what can be done and how it can benefit them. And so it's been really important for us to keep that service mindset, to create those relationships and target products to people who need them, who it benefits. 
you know, you never want to give a product to somebody who's just never going to use it, that it's going to sit there and do nothing, because that doesn't help them or us. So we want to make sure that we know our members, that we've spent time to understand them, to know where they're going, know what their goals are, and then to really offer the products that best benefit them. That's been a long time coming, and that's been a challenge to do, because sometimes it's hard. People can think of it as sales culture. It's kind of all of the above. I like to think of it as the combination of sales and service. Yes, you're giving them a product, but at the same time, that product is tailored to what they actually need and what they want. So what career advice would you offer other young credit union professionals and and particularly new credit union CEOs? Definitely to get involved and to keep learning. As you're moving through the career, before you get to this point, I think it's really important to try to be as involved as you can and be willing to help out. When I was starting out, I took pretty much any task that they needed done, I took over, whether that was you know, plunging a toilet or you know, running ACH. I, I jumped in in a lot of places because I felt like that gave me the best idea of, of the credit union. And I knew from the start that I wanted to be able to, to make a difference in our members and, and everyone's lives. And so I knew that I wanted to, to reach a higher level of authority. And even if that's management, if that's the position I'm in, but I knew that I wanted to make a difference. And so I think for new people coming into these, it's really important to be involved, to to learn, to really immerse yourself in what a credit union does and what a credit union is. So what's what do you think is the best and worst career advice that you've ever received? You know, I don't know if I have any specific advice. I think uh, for me, what a lot of it was kind of watching my managers, even before I was part of the credit union, but watching some of the best and worst in people. You know, you can sort of see what a really good manager does and maybe where they fall short and and what maybe a not-so-good manager does and where they could do better. I've really taken a lot of lessons from just the people that I know and, and the people that I've worked with and the people that I've worked with over the years. I think when you're talking about a good manager, a good leader, you really have to be open to ideas. And it harkens back to something I said before, too, is I know that I don't know everything. And I, I, I've realized that I, I'm fairly decent at understanding where my limitation is. And I always search for, for information, even if that information is maybe not exactly what I wanted to hear. Kind of have to be open to being shot down, being told why your idea maybe is not the greatest one. It's sort of a hallmark of understanding and listening and being able to take action on those things. So I was reading an article about um, some leaders who say their morning routine has helped them be successful. Do you have a certain routine that you follow in the morning that you think helps you throughout your day? Yeah, I, I do. I'm I'm an early morning runner, so my day usually starts about 4 a.m. I like to go for about an hour or more and just run to clear my head. I feel like it gets my blood pumping. It. <laughs> I also think that it's when I think the best, when my mind tends to be clear and I can sort of... Um, just zone out and think about all of the things that are happening. Beyond that, I have a fairly, I have about an hour commute. So I like to listen to podcasts, audiobooks, industry things, leadership books, all those sorts of things. I like to, I like to do that on my way into work. Uh, once I get here, I typically like to sit down. I have a, a daily task list that I keep up fairly religiously now. I like to sit down, quick prioritize those. 
review some of the credit union news publications. A lot of times I scan them quickly if I find an article I want to read. I'll either earmark it for later or I'll read it quick. Other than that, I, I tend to look at our operational numbers a little bit, but that's really kind of my morning. I feel like I feel like it's sort of the best of both worlds. It gets the, the mind and the body both working. How do you motivate yourself to get up at four in the morning in the middle of winter in Minnesota to go for an hour run? Uh, the winters is when I tend to get sort of lazy <laughs> because it is cold and it is dark. Yeah. <laughs> I've been very close to investing in a treadmill, which we haven't done yet, but that's probably going to be a, that's probably going to be a not too distant future purchase. Really, I think a lot of motivation just it, it comes out of habit. They say it takes anywhere from twenty to to what is it forty days to really develop the habit, but once you do, it becomes a lot easier to get up, put your running shoes on, and just go. I try to ford out in the winter as much as I can. Uh, typically, I'll take a break from November through. Depending on how cold it is, it could be November through February, but sometimes I've been known to run in February as well. What's one thing people should know about Minnesota? I think the the weather is something that people think is is absolutely miserable, but the cold is not terrible. Uh, Where we are here up in northern Minnesota, we are very much the the trees and the, the lakes and the rivers. It's a beautiful country up here. If people haven't been to the Minnesota Iron Range, to Ely Boundary Waters, to any of those spaces, they are they're absolutely gorgeous. And I think it's a hidden gem that a lot of people don't know about. I really, I really love it in this area. I moved up from southern Minnesota where it was a lot of agriculture and the trees, the forest, everything kind of feels, it, it feels comfortable. It feels nice. Definitely the place that I really associate with. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play.